We are back. And in this hour, we are talking about the ouster of Harvard's first African-American female president, Dr. Claudine Gay. And joining me in this hour is Dr. Leon Jackson. He is the founder and CEO of the Diversity in Leadership Program and also Dr. Mena Pratt. She is co-editor, Journeys of Social Justice, Women of Color Presidents in Higher Education. And she's the founder of the Faculty Women of Color in the Academy National Conference. Welcome to both of you, Dr. Jackson and Dr. Pratt. I want to read to you uh, a social media post that happened today, yesterday, by Christopher Rufo, this very conservative uh, educational advocate or activist, he calls himself. This is what he wrote. He said, we launched the Claudine Gay plagiarism story from the right. The next step is to smuggle it into the media apparatus of the left, legitimizing the narrative to center-left actors who have the power to power to topple her, then squeeze. What do you make of that pretty clear admission, Dr. Pratt, of the intentions and the strategy being used on the right to topple Dr. Gay's presidency at Harvard University? Well, thank you for having me on your show. It's, it's, it's a pleasure to be back on your show. Um, you know, my scholarship and work has focused on understanding the experiences of women of color in higher education. And in my book, Journeys of Social Justice, Women of Color Presidents in the Academy, I actually looked at the experiences of women of color presidents. And what I found is that it's they're, they're subject to ex extreme scrutiny. And the bar is so high. It's it's mm -hmm. almost an untenable position. And I think the experiences of Dr. Gay reflect that. The tenuousness of it's it's just like a razor thin line that they walk. And one of the quotes in the book just talks about women of color presidents walking on a tightrope. And I think ever since her appointment, she was on that tightrope. And that tightrope had pressures coming from all sides. So the you know, congressional testimony, the the review of every single article for examples of plagiarism and incorrect citation. It's that level of scrutiny that as women of color, not just in the academy, but I think in all sectors of society, we are subject to. And so it's not surprising to me, based on my research, that this has been, unfortunately, her tenure. What are you thinking, uh, Dr. Jackson? Again, I, I guess I'm just perplexed by how the story is being written when you have statements like the one I just read from a Christopher Rufo and his statements, his playbook, his talking points being repeated by folks like Alan Dershowitz, uh, folks like Bill Ackman. Uh, here's the latest post from Rufo. He says, one go for 2024. 50% plus net reduction of DEI jobs in corporate America. Put the entire industry into chaos. Make it a career path to nowhere. I mean, they are being as loud and as transparent as possible about what this entire effort is about, the larger strategy at play here. We've seen it with affirmative action. We've seen it with abortion rights. But yet, people are literally getting hung up on her scholarly work, whether she used quotations in one place versus another place, whether she 
you know, had duplicative paragraphs. They're getting in the weeds on these topics, but not really talking about this very clear statement that the goal is to reduce by 50% DEI jobs in corporate America. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, first of all, what I'll say is uh, thanks for having me on your show. Uh, first time having the chance to be here. Uh, so really uh, appreciate the opportunity to um, join you on your platform. Um, what I will say is having been in uh, some of those faculty uh, Senate meetings, uh, you can spend three hours on where a comma goes. Uh, and that's not an exaggeration. Um, so it's not unusual to find uh, dissonance within that, that particular group. Um, what I will say also is when it comes to DEI, um, most of them have been you know, jobs that sounded good, uh, but really have not netted uh, a whole lot of change in some regard because most of them don't hold a budget. When you don't control a budget, it's really hard in organizations to affect change um, because your priorities are not their priorities. Um, what I'll also say is what we have to do as a community is really be intentional about backing our leaders and supporting our leaders, uh, because without our support, uh, this will continue to happen. And you see companies who have embraced it, like PNG and some others, who have really created new markets for themselves. And we understand that diversity at the top is the only thing that is known to grow the pie. A lot, you know, these folks are, are pushing the narrative that it's, it's taking something from some from folks. But the reality is uh, when you have diversity at the top of organizations, new markets are created. Revenue is is grown. Market share is grown. And so, you know, what, what's really interesting is that they truly don't understand or, or seem to understand the impact of diversity um, and, and really what it means for the growth of our, our, our economy. Yeah, I think you're being generous, uh, <laughs> I think you're being really, really uh, generous, Dr. Jackson, because I think there's something a lot more cynical at play, Dr. Pratt, in the same way that we saw the cynical way in which this Rufo uh, created this backlash over critical race theory and convinced the nation that somehow every time you mentioned the word Black, taught anything about black history, you were teaching kids critical race theory. You went to law school, I went to law school. We know that critical race theory is a, a course and a concept taught in law school, never taught to an eighth grader, ninth grader, but yet they were able to create a narrative that anything that was taught about black history was critical race theory. And if it was black and it was critical race theory, it was bad, do away with it, legislate it away. And I guess what I read, what Christopher Rufo is doing, he knows exactly ex what you just said, Dr. Jackson. He knows that those jobs don't come with a lot of money, don't come with power. So they're not really going after DEI as much as, as how I see it, uh, Dr. Pratt. I see this as a cynical attempt to go after the laws that have allowed us to file lawsuits, to sue for discrimination on the basis of race. Uh, to assert claims uh, of discrimination on the basis of, of gender. And that is much, much bigger than DEI as we now know it, because everything Black, like everything taught about Black history has been conflated with critical race theory. 
everybody black in the workplace now gets labeled as a DEI candidate, like Dr. Gay. And that's a much bigger issue than eliminate some quote unquote DEI jobs. No, I, I think it has been clearly a systemic, organized strategy campaign for several years prior even to George Floyd. I mean, George Floyd's murder became a catalyst in many ways for increasing the presence of DEI in higher education, for example, but also corporations. Everybody recognized that the injustice that has been happening since the founding of the country impacting African-Americans was continuing, but George Floyd's murder put like a stark lens on that, like a microscopic lens on the brutality and the hate towards African-Americans in America. And so the conscience, consciousness, I, I believe, of America was aroused by that incident. And the reality was we need to do something as a country because our moral our, our morals are at stake. And because of the that challenge to white supremacy, that white supremacy kind of fought back. And the mm -hmm. fighting back has been the systemic and on, on all levels of society, on all sectors of society, from the Supreme Court to state legislators, to local legislators, to the federal government, to undermine efforts at equality and equity in society. And so from, you know, I, I've been watching with concern because first it was like, okay, Florida and Texas are doing some things, but then it's Iowa, it's Oklahoma, it's executive orders, it's Wisconsin. It's a move across the country to remove, revoke, undermine opportunities. But I think the focus, okay, we're going to impact African-Americans, but it's impacting many vulnerable groups. It's not just DEI, it's not just for Black people. It's, it's for vulnerable marginalized groups in society. And those these efforts are undermining many others. No, absolutely. And I want to read some of this post by Bill Ackman, again, this billionaire donor to Harvard. Uh, this is what he wrote. He says, I ultimately concluded that anti-Semitism was not the core of the problem. It was simply a troubling warning sign. It was the canary in the coal mine, despite how destructive it was in impacting student life and learning on campus. I came to learn that the root cause of anti-Semitism at Harvard was an ideology that had been promulgated on campus, an oppressor-oppressed framework that provided the intellectual bulwark behind the protests, helping to generate anti-Israel and anti-Jewish hate, speech, and harassment. Then I did more research. I learned the more, the more I learned, the more concerned, and the more ignorant I realized I had been about DEI. Now he makes this big leap, okay a powerful movement that has not only pervaded Harvard, but the educational system at large. I came to understand that DEI was not what I had naively thought those words meant. I believe diversity is an important feature, but by diversity, I mean diversity in its broadest form, diversity of viewpoints, politics, blah, blah, blah. What I learned, however, was that DEI was not about diversity in its purest form, but was a political advocacy movement on behalf of certain groups that are deemed oppressed under DEI's own definition. Under DEI, one's degree of oppression is determined based on where one resides on the so-called intersectional pyramid of oppression where whites, Jews, and Asians are deemed oppressors 
and a subset of people of color, LGBT people and women are deemed to be oppressed. And under this ideology, which is the physical, uh, philosophical underpinning of DEI as advanced by Ibram Kendi and others, <laughs> one is either an anti-racist or a racist. There is no such thing as being not racist. That's a mouthful, big word salad by a Harvard Business School graduate billionaire. But there you have it, Dr. Jackson, that big leap from anti-Semitism to DEI to oppressor to oppress and white folks and Jewish and Asians, he threw them in there for good measure, are the oppressor and black folks, LGBT and women are the oppressed. And then he throws in Dr. Kendi and says, you're either anti-racist or not. And there's no such thing as not racist. What do you make of that? Again, you know, you, you have a, a playbook. I mean, you have uh, folks who are really kind of walking in this Donald Trump playbook who who uh, are blowing dog whistles uh, to folks who who don't know better. Um, these folks are looking to leverage uh, their and grow their political power, grow their their their, their financial well-being um, by by playing to an audience that is a very dangerous audience. I mean, we've seen on January sixth, and we've seen on on other instances where these this particular group and the folks that they're speaking to are ready to act and ready to move um, and willing to do whatever it takes to to get their point across, and so. Uh, as a nation, I think that in 2024, especially politically, we are in a very, very uh, dangerous spot. And, and we got to figure out, you know, what we're going to do to really move our country forward, because the 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 group that they're playing to is willing to to go all in. And we have to 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 find a way uh, as individuals who don't believe in that you know, to, to, to move our country forward. And, and, and it's going to be hard because it does seem polarizing, right? I mean, everything. Well, it, it doesn't seem polarizing. It is polarizing. And hold that thought because when we come forward, we're going to yeah. continue this conversation about how Dr. Gay has become a casualty of yet another culture war. Uh, stay with us. KBLA Talk 1580. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. 1580. We are back, and Dr. Minna Pratt and Dr. Leon Jackson join me in this hour. We're talking about the ouster of Dr. Claudine Gay, first Black woman president of Harvard University, and how her ouster is a part of a much larger effort on the part of primarily white disgruntled men, many of whom have gotten a voice, been given a big voice and a big platform under Donald Trump. I, I'm continuing to read some of this social media posts from uh, Bill Ackman, Harvard educated business school graduate who uh, pulled or said he was pulling his donation to Harvard was a vocal. Uh, it was very vocal in the ouster of Dr. Gay calling for her ouster. He's written his long word salad kind of post, uh, essentially saying that after the death of George Floyd, the already burgeoning DEI movement took off without any real challenge to his problematic ideology. Why, you might ask? Was there so little pushback? The answer is that anyone who dared to raise a question which challenged DEI was deemed a racist. 
a label which could severely impact one's employment, social status, reputation, and more. Being called a racist got people canceled. So those concerned about DEI and this society, societal and legal implications had no choice but to keep quiet in this new climate of fear. When one examines DEI and its ideological heritage, it does not take long to understand that the movement is inherently consistent with basic American values. Our country since its founding has been about creating and building a democracy with equality of opportunity for all. Millions of people have been left behind, socialism and communism to come over to America to start again as they have seen the destruction leveled by an e equality of outcome society. And he goes on to say DEI is racist. If you say things about white people today in universities and business uh, or otherwise, and you switch the word white to black, the consequences you would face would be severe. Dr. Pratt, is that not the biggest crock of crap? The country was built on principles of equality. I mean, take us back, help us understand how this language is, is so reminiscent of language that we heard coming out of slavery, reconstruction, the civil war. I mean, this is not new. The white disgruntled men, victims, you know, they're martyrs, poor white people. Oh my God, if you say something about a white person, it's okay, but change it to black and you're canceled, you're fired. What is he talking about? I don't know what he's talking about, but I can say that, you know, as a scholar of African-American history, a scholar of American history and understanding the contradictions upon which America was founded, the contradiction that it was supposed to be a land of the free home of the brave. Um, we were all supposed to have an opportunity to pursue life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness while four million African-Americans were enslaved. That that was the reality upon which America was founded. And so, you know, even after the Civil War and that short period where African-Americans had the opportunity to be free, not with any real resources, but the semblance of freedom was undermined by the radical reconstruction and Jim Crow. So I and, I, you know, and it took another hundred years for the civil rights movement that created some semblance, again, of progress, the Voting Rights Act, some legislative changes that have once again been undermined. So it's this back and forth kind of seesawing of progress and then retrenchment. And I think that's the same thing that happened after George Floyd. There was an opportunity for progress. It's like, yes, we understand that these groups have been marginalized in society. Let's do better as a country. And then but now- I, But I don't even know if that's accurate. Uh, Dr. Jackson, he says this burgeoning- uh, DEI movement that happened after George Floyd, it made people afraid to push back on it because if they said something about it, they were deemed a racist. You just told us this whole DEI movement has been kind of flawed from the beginning. And, and there's this fallacious belief out there that it's created millions and millions of jobs for black folks or other marginalized groups. And that's not true. No, I mean, the, the reality is, uh, you know, during the, the, the height of, uh, you know, after George Floyd's murder, um, there, there was a, an increased awareness. Uh, there was a, a desire or at least an outward expression of we want to move forward. But we, we, we're seeing more and more that that was not uh, a sentiment that was sincere. It was simply to pacify and get us through that time. 
um, which, you know, again, you know, you, you, you kind of, you know, like Dr. Pratt talked about the seesaw, uh, there was only so long that this was going to last uh, before, uh, you know, they came back with something that that kind of took it back the other way. Um, and <clears throat> what we what we continue to see is um, they're seen as, you know, them doing us favors. And, and as long as they they feel like they're doing us favors, there's going to be this constant back and forth. When there's this feeling that they don't need one side doesn't need the other, there's going to be this seesaw effect um, where, the, OK, we'll give it to you now. But at some point, we're going to take this thing back and, and re, you know put it back in our favor. So. Um, it's a it's a challenge, uh, and, it, and it's something that we're going to have to deal with for you know what seems like a very long time. Uh, and again, you know, I, I can't say it enough. Uh, you know, this this political season that we're in is only going to increase uh, that that feeling. And so uh, we got a lot of work to do. As I, I mean, that's, that's truly it. Yeah. Now that I've read some of that complete ridiculous propaganda, gaslighting, word salad from Bill Ackman. Let me read a post by Ibram Kendi, Professor Kendi, who's mentioned by Bill Ackman. And this is the reality of what we are witnessing. And in four posts, this is what Professor Kendi says. When a racist mob attacks a Black person, it finds a seemingly legitimate reason for the attack that allows for it to accrue popular support and credibility and which allows the growing mob to deny they're attacking the person in this way because the person is Black. That's how anti-Black racist attacks have been justified. The seemingly legitimate reason in this latest case at Harvard is primarily academic misconduct or plagiarism. The question to assess whether this was a racist attack isn't whether Dr. Gay engaged in any misconduct, let me find this the other text he says um got to find it uh i got to find this text i'm having a little difficulty but let, let's talk about that uh dr pratt so you have this mob attacking attacking dr gay and then they have this reason for the attack i.e. the plagiarism that allows them to say, oh, well, this isn't about race. You know, this is about her scholarly work. And that gives justification uh, for the attack. How often have you seen that uh, in the work that you've done? Well, I wanted to really call out, though, um, Dr. Gay's op-ed. I think it's brilliant. And I think it speaks to that. It speaks to the plagiarism allegations. It speaks to the anti-Semitism allegations. And I think it's very empowering for her voice to come forward that strong where it was an attempt to silence her. So removing her position from the presidency in that sort of public pulpit was a silencing attempt. But her op-ed shows that she still has voice, she still has presence, she still has an ability to change and influence minds and thoughts. And I think her op-ed is a brilliant piece that challenges and in fact undermines the the attempts to sabotage her professionalism and her career. Yeah, no, absolutely. And everyone should definitely look it up and read it. Uh, here are the last two quotes from Professor Kendi. He says, uh, so he ends the second one by saying, the question to assess whether this was a racist attack isn't whether Dr. Gay engaged in any misconduct. 
The question is whether all these people would have investigated, surveilled, harassed, written about, and attacked her in the same way if the Harvard president in this case would have been white. It isn't hard to figure out why the racist mob is cheering right now and saying, go woke, go broke, and President Gay wasn't qualified, and the tide is turning against woke and DEI, and that this is the beginning of the end of woke. And that's what we're hearing from Elise Stefanik, from New York, uh, other GOP, uh, you know, elected officials, activists are all jumping over themselves, stepping over themselves to take credit for the ousting of Dr. Gay and proclaiming, as Christopher Rufo has done so openly, that this is the beginning of the end of what they describe as woke and woke again being uh, conflated with anything that has to do with progress or equity in our society. Uh, when we come forward, I want to talk about what should we be doing in this moment, given this vicious attack, not just on Dr. Gay, but on principles of, of equity and you know, these efforts to take the country backwards decades and to really undermine so much of the progress that's been made in corporate America and government by people of color. Stay with us, KBLA Talk 1580. We are back and we're talking about the ouster of President Claudine Gay from Harvard University. And she did write, as uh, Dr. Pratt has alluded to, a very powerful op-ed piece today in the New York Times. Uh, here's a passage from that op-ed. Dr. Gay said, never did I imagine needing to defend decades old and broadly respected research but the past several weeks have laid waste to truth. Those who had relentlessly campaigned to oust me since the fall often trafficked in lies and ad hominem insults, not reasoned argument. They recycled tired racial stereotypes about Black talent and temperament. They pushed a false narrative of indifference and incompetence. It is not lost on me that I make an ideal canvas for projecting every anxiety about the generational and demographic changes unfolding on American campuses. A Black woman selected to lead a storied institution, someone who views diversity as a source of institutional strength and dynamism, someone who has advocated a modern curriculum that spans from the frontier of quantum science to the long neglected history of Asian Americans, someone who believes that a daughter of Haitian immigrants has something to offer to the nation's oldest university. Uh, Dr. Pratt, that's uh, Dr. Gay making it plain that she checks a lot of boxes for those seeking to again, uh, undo a lot of the progress that's been made with respect to diversity on university campuses and in corporate America. Yeah, no, her statement's very clear. I mean, in fact, the start of that, that her op-ed, she talks about all the hate, <laughs> how many times she was called the N-word, just the, mm -hmm. the attacks on her, you know, her scholarship, the attacks on her intelligence, the stereotypes. So I, I think that many women of color, Black women, we experience that daily. People call them microaggressions, they're, they're macroaggressions, they're racism, it's sexism, it's it's, you know, undermining who we are. One of the... Well, I should mention the word microaggression shows up in this Bill Ackman uh, post saying that uh, that word has been weaponized to prevent people with alternative 
opinions or to, to quell or to quash freedom of speech. So if black people don't like something, we say it's a microaggression. It's just a way to, again, prevent white folks who have alternative opinions. So uh, in the Bill Ackman world, there is no such thing as a microaggression. It's just, you don't like what I'm saying. So you're gonna label me a racist so I can get canceled, lose my job, lose my status. And boy, we didn't push back enough on that after George Floyd, but damn it, we're pushing back on it now. Well, microaggressions are <laughs> racist, sexist, classist, ableist language that is, attacks personally, that is, it's clearly not, you know, a ideological belief system. It's, it's, it's racist. Most microaggressions mm -hmm. are racist, sexist, homophobic language that, you know, is not acceptable. Um, I, you know, you before you went to break, you talked about what can we do? And I just want to say, I think it's really important that those of us who believe in what DEI, <laughs> critical race theory, these core values and historical realities need to come together. Um, I host every year a conference for women of color in the academy. It'll be online and virtual. There's an organization, it's called the National Organization of Diversity Officers in Higher Education, NADAHI, that's led by an amazing African-American woman that brings together diversity officers from across the country that has a framework for how DEI should be done and led in universities. And I think that's another important organization to support. Thank you for sharing that information. Where do you think we go, uh, Dr. Jackson, given the architects of this uh, movement, given how organized they are, given how strategic they are, and given how mainstream media and those who often are thought to be allies seemingly are buying the, you know, the, the uh, smoke and mirrors explanation for why Dr. Gay had to go. I think that we have two natural places that we can go. Uh, first is how we spend our money. I mean, we really have to be intentional with whom we spend, uh, leverage our resources with. Um, that is our power. Uh, we are, you know, we 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 are consumers uh, as a community, and and we have to leverage that in order to uh, make it a point. They don't miss us if we don't leverage our our resources, uh, and we have to be consistent with that. Um, I would say the other thing is, I mean, again, this is a, is a, a presidential um, uh, election year. Uh, we have to get out and we can't wait until October and, and September to get activated and, and get get out here and, and, and begin to do the work. Uh, we have to get started now um, and, and, and let our voices, let our pocketbooks speak for, you know, our interest. Um, you know, too often we wait until, you know, again, you know, the 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 August and the September and October to really engage in this political process. But <clears throat> if we wait in this this season, uh, we're gonna be with candidates that we don't A either believe in or uh, B who can't win. And and we have to do a better job of leveraging our resources so that we we are heard, uh, we are understood, uh, and, and we have an agenda that can help drive and push our, our community forward. Um, we have to be more organized. Uh, and I, I don't know what that necessarily looks like, uh, but we have to be intentional in this in this season. We have about a good, you know, 10 months to 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 really uh kind of push something, you know, put some stuff together and, and really put an agenda together and really a plan 
for our community. And if we don't, we're going to be in trouble. I mean, we just are. Um, we 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 cannot wait to to get engaged and only be voters. Uh, we have to also leverage how we spend our money. And just final point, Dr. Uh, Pratt, given the attack we saw on affirmative action in college admissions, how do we uh, prevent, if it's even possible, the attack now that's happening on these DEI efforts? We're going to see this at the, we're going to see this in litigation. We're going to see this before the Supreme Court. This is an issue that's going to be taken up at the court level in the same way that college admissions and affirmative action was taken up. What do you predict? happens when this matter does get before the court right now well, it's in the court of public opinion but it's, I, I see it headed in that direction well i mean i think we understand the composition of the supreme court and it's going to be challenging to um understand what their ruling might be however i think it's important that as lawyers we understand the nuances <laughs> it's, it's never black and white there's always gray that's what i believe and so I think even with the last Supreme Court decision on affirmative action, there was gray in there. There was a little window of language that allows applicants to talk about the race and their essays. And so I think in whatever decision comes out on whatever DEI cases, we just have to analyze those cases and find the opportunities to still continue to push what we believe in, our core values that um, are about justice. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see uh, what happens. You're right. We we have a inherently biased conservative Supreme Court, <clears throat> likewise judges at the appellate level, uh, but we see this uh, attack being challenged. We see attacks on DEI being challenged uh, in the courts, and this public opinion campaign that's being launched uh, around Dr. Gay is just uh, there to support what we should expect to see in the courts uh, very soon. And I, I think it's going to be sooner rather than later. And I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see some really uh, oppressive ruling by the court on these issues. Obviously, a lot of work to be done. And this is the election year, so it's time uh, to get busy because uh, it's like we often say this is going to be an election uh, that could literally change all of our lives. So be informed and be engaged. We are out of time. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Pratt. Thank you so much, Dr. Jackson, for joining me. The next voice that you hear is Robin Ayers right here on KBLA Talk 1580. Don't touch that dial.